Welcome to episode 15 of the Baseball From Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand. We are, as always, brought to you by the House of L podcast network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe has been covering and broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He also covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. If you need to find us online, that's better than in real life. I'm on Twitter, at C1 McKnight. He's at Joe underscore brand one. We would love it if you rate and review the pod. Subscribe, rate, and review. Do it in that order. You know what? Do it wherever you want. It's fine. You hit all three. That's all good for us. Uh, we appreciate you doing it. It helps us push the pod to the places we'd like it to go. Every show we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox, and today we actually do have a particular order. It's written in the bylaws of the Baseball From Home podcast that if a team throws a no-hitter prior to the podcast episode going out, that team gets to go first. In Lucas Giolito's case, he threw it on a night we weren't scheduled to podcast, so we we got a bonus episode out, but Alec Mills did us a solid and threw himself a no-hitter on the night we were supposed to podcast, so we just kind of wrap it up into one little pod here. It's nice for us. Jeff. Yeah, and how about the fact that we've got a team that just worked their way into the best record of the American League, sweeping a team that they should sweep, and that's the third biggest story in the city for Sunday. It was a uh, a wild day overall. We're not a football podcast, but we can give a shout-out to Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears for cha- changing everything. Um, but boy, oh boy, what a solid weekend for the Cubs as well. I think they might have figured everything out. Who knows? Maybe this is a turning point for these guys. Sox fans everywhere are furious that the second best team in baseball is being pushed to the third page of the sports. Does anyone do a sports section anymore on actual paper? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Either way, Sox fans are furious and they love it that way. Trust me. None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and all of the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head, they sponsor the House of L podcast network. They sponsor our show as well. I actually had Team Hochberg help me wrap up the mortgage for my house in Wicker Park. They were absolutely fantastic. One of the most uh, one of the things I like to underscore with Team Hochberg is that every step of the way, they had my back. It was my first time buying a house. And I will use them every time. But each time I had a question about something that I was doing in terms of buying a house, I would call up Team Hochberg and Kevin or David, like, no worries, we got you. Don't worry about it. You will have what you need when you get to the table and have to put down for this house. It was incredibly reassuring. Working with someone that I knew knew me was fantastic. They'll do the same for you. Call them at 855 56 David. Or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. So, the Cubs got themselves two of three from the Brewers over the weekend. At 28 and 20, they're almost 70 points above the Cardinals for the NL Central. 75.6 and 54 is the record if you do your COVID math. And since I figured we're getting really close toward the end of the season, Joe, like, you know, it's not that many games left. I took the winning percentage and multiplied that by 162. The Cubs are like a 94-win team in terms of uh, 162-game season. I don't want to say that... I don't want to say that the weekend went a long way in fixing all of the things that ailed the Cubs, but it gave me hope that some of their problems might not be horrific in a three-game set against a decent team, and that might be enough to move you through week uh, for, through round one of the playoffs. I honestly was okay with Friday. 
even though they don't score any runs, we know that the Cubs' offense has been inconsistent, but to have John Lester go out there and work six shutout innings against the Milwaukee Brewers, I mean, that's a huge upswing. I, I think you can take that with a loss and take it as a win because that's that's something you need figured out come playoff time. You need a healthy and substantial John Lester, and then all of a sudden they just bulked up on adrenaline and come away with a comeback victory on Saturday. Now a no-hitter, and all of a sudden Alec Mills is bringing his name back into the conversation of being the number three guy in this rotation because of just his superb outing with one of the most fabulous curveballs I've ever seen. You get your clutch hitting. You get your... I Okay, I will say on Sunday I think that they did take advantage of um, a Brewers team that has a doubleheader coming up and had to leave the starter out there for a while, kind of beat up on him. But the Cubs are not going to apologize for that. When you get a guy like Jason Hayward coming through in the clutch on Saturday, riding some of that momentum into Sunday, I mean, the Cubs did a lot of good things and not so much answered questions, but they addressed a lot of their issues over the weekend. And I think Cub fans should be thrilled about that. Lester and Woodruff put on a show on Friday night. And like you said, they still weren't the best pitching performance of the weekend. That goes to Alec Mills, who throws his first career no-hitter. The guy's story is incredible, right? I mean, he's just DFA'd. He's got the Tommy John. He's throwing. I tweeted this out, Joe, but but I, I seriously mean it. Has anyone ever thrown that many sub-70 mile-an-hour pitches in a no-hitter? So I don't have the answer to that, but I thought this tweet kind of complimented what you brought up. Stats by Stats on Twitter mentioned Alec Mills threw a no-hitter despite only getting five swings and misses all game. Since pitches were tracked in 1988, that ties the fewest whiffs in a no-hitter. Dallas Braden had five in his 2010 perfect game. Dallas Braden. And Dallas Braden was cheating a lot. He had all kinds of crap in his hair. Ask him. This is... That's an incredible no-hitter. I mean, really. They're not... We talked about this after Lucas Giolito threw his. They're not all created equal, right? They're just not. They're all amazing, but they're not all created equal. Lucas went out and threw his against the Pirates, which are a a butt-flavored offense, right? They're absolutely terrible. But it's still a no-hitter against a major league team, and damn, was he dominant, right? Alec Mills went out there and threw... As many get-me-over-first-pitch curveballs in a start that I've ever seen. I mean, like, Barry Zito-level, first-pitch curve, gets you ahead in the count kind of stuff. I'm not saying the curves were equally as... Like, obviously, Alec Mills does not have Barry Zito's curve. It's nice, and it worked for him incredibly well on Sunday. But I I don't know that I've seen a no-hitter quite like that ever in, in my baseball-watching career. I I don't think I've ever seen anyone with that kind of stuff do it like that. I think that's why it makes it all that much more impressive. The the stat I just said about the lack of swings and misses he had, the non-thrilling stuff that you said of how sub 70 mile per hour pitches, but just the constant contact. I mean, it was all weak contact. That's that's a guy that plays to pitch to put the ball in play to get the game going along, and the fact that none of the Milwaukee Brewers were able to get it to a spot that could actually become a hit almost makes it that more impressive because you've got guys constantly swinging and confident enough to swing at these pitches but still can't level up on it. I, 
I'm telling you that that curveball just mesmerized me today, and it got better as the game went along. I think it was the ninth inning against Taylor, the the first pitch curve that looked like it was going to hit him. Oh, the one that just tucked in right there at 66. Brilliant pitch. It's it's not just the vertical movement; it was the horizontal too. I mean, I've never seen such a slurvy curveball because it it just covers all this room, but it just st- still has all this break to it. It was absolutely a phenomenal pitch today and if the Cubs can have him as a number three that changes their playoff look completely heading into the postseason it really does um it it truly does because you know he can soak up some innings as well my only worry about Alec Mills as three starter in a playoff series is that means you've you've gotten to him right in your in your first set and you're, you're pitching him and the issues that Mills has had over the last, I don't know, call it five starts, right, are, are mostly things seem to be going along fine, and then he'll give up a single, maybe it's hard hit, and then something will bleed through the infield, first and third, something like that. And because of the nature of the way he pitches, he doesn't get barreled up all that often until he gives up the home run. And even if he does give up a sharp single here or a soft one there or something falls in or there's a dying quail or whatever, all of that is like normal for Alec Mills. It's normal for him to give up that kind of stuff. It's normal for as it would be any starter, but it's also normal for him to pitch around that kind of stuff. Because like you say, Joe, he doesn't get that many swings and misses. He's used to pitching with guys on the base paths. He's a kind of a higher traffic guy. And I salute the skill set because that's it's impressive to work around, especially in 2020. But that three-run shot comes quickly for him because of the nature of his experience and the stuff he's got. And that, you know, it's it it feels like Mills is is gonna be one of those playoff starters that like yeah he's going four or whenever David Ross just needs to pull him out, you know. So I better than having better than not having a three starter, no doubt about it but still a little worry, at least from my perspective in a playoff series. And that's fair, and I think it ends up being how well is that curveball because, like, he's not blowing anybody away with his fastball, but if he can locate the fastball and complement it with that curveball, then you constantly have hitters guessing. Those those three-run bombs that change the game come when his breaking pitches aren't as lethal because guys can just avoid it. They, they can just not swing at it or wait on a hanger or time up the breaking pitch, and then maybe they get, get lucky with a fastball. But the fact is, when his breaking pitch can look that good, I think hitters are mesmerized on it, and they focus so much on it that once the fastball comes that they don't expect, especially elevated out of the zone somewhere that they can't get to, it's a lot harder for them to catch up to it. And and how many other starting pitchers for the Cubs do we see do that, Kyle Hendricks and you, Darvish? And th- that's the other interesting thing, too. It's it's almost like they have all these pitchers that kind of work the same way. Um, so maybe that doesn't help you in a real long-run playoff term scenario. But for right now, like you said, better than not having him. I, I just think he gives – Definitely a shot in the arm to this whole Cubs team this past weekend. Only 114 pitches for Mills in the no-hitter. Plus, the Cubs have the off day Monday, two against Cleveland. Then their final off day of the year, the 17th, that's Thursday, before they get the Twins, then the Pirates, then the White Sox. So you would figure Mills then goes sometime during the Minnesota series, maybe Sunday, 
or Monday against Pittsburgh. With the two off days, the Cubs get to move some things around as much as they want. If they kept on regular rest, that would be one, two, three, four, five. Friday against Minnesota with the two extra off days, I would expect them to move some things around and maybe squeeze in something else if they can. That's just me guessing at things. Speaking of guessing at things, um, I know Brandon Woodruff looked fantastic on Friday night for the Brewers, right? I mean, he had 97, 98, 99, just dotting and, and absolutely arrowing up guys. Chris Bryant took three strikeouts that day. He was one for four. He was 0 for four with 2K Saturday. He was out Sunday. And Bryant got rung up on, I mean, listen, Woodruff got some help, right? Some feeble swings from the Cubs on Friday night. He also benefited from a strike zone that was a little bit larger than it probably ought to have been. And I don't want to have the discussion about whether a guy earns it or whether he doesn't or whether that exists. But the fact of the matter is, Chris Bryant sat out Sunday's slugfest went 0 for 4 on Saturday and had the three punch outs Friday. They the Cubs need Bryant to be better than that. They need him to be a representative baseball player in a playoff series and and really truly what they need is for Chris Bryant to be Chris Bryant. I'm a little surprised that that hasn't happened yet. To me that means he is likely not 100% healthy. That is all of it worrisome for me. I'm with you. I don't see how a healthy Chris Bryant continues to have these types of problems. His whiff rate right now, according to Baseball Savant, is the worst it's been since his rookie year. Um, he's he's not getting that opposite field drive. How you mentioned over the weekend, I mean, five strikeouts over the last two games, that's, that's the highest he's had this year, tied with a couple of games he had back-to-back once the season first began. I mean, that's the difference. We've talked about it. It's those pitches high and in, he can't get the bat around too quickly enough. It's definitely a, a worry. It's definitely something that needs to figure out come playoff time. This weekend offensively was kind of like what the Cubs were doing so well at the beginning of the year. You had everybody pitching in. I mean, I thought it was going to be us talking about Ildemaro Vargas for this entire Cubs podcast, and luckily Alec Mills saved us from that. Uh, Ildemaro Vargas, former Cougar, by the way. But, oh, your guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, he was actually let go by the St. Louis Cardinals. That year, the Diamondbacks picked him up. That year, he won the batting title in the Midwest League. So he was just kind of somebody that got away. And uh, I know it's his third different organization. But, yeah, I, I've got a I've got a little soft spot for Ildemaro Vargas, too. So I, I enjoy that pickup. I don't understand why he went to third base in uh, Kimbrell's outing on Saturday with runners at first and second. I'm still waiting for that different view to see where the out was over at second base. I was screaming at the TV at the time. Um, but I digress. Uh, yes, the whole Chris Bryant situation is just like the Javier Baez and Wilson Contreras situation. It's it's tough to see this Cubs team really moving forward in the playoffs if those guys aren't able to contribute. But what what stinks about Bryant is it's it's been the same problem kind of all year long, and it, it looks like it's still lingering issues with the hand, the wrist, whatever it is on his arm, and and that's that's very worrisome. You got to be confident to let it go in the big leagues, and it looks like he is uh, he's anything but. I wonder, Joe, you know, we started this season, all Cubs fans did, screaming about that Cubs bullpen. I think it's fine now. Like, I, honest to God, I, I think that is a fine, slightly above average Major League bullpen, and I would include Craig Kimbrell in the conversation of a fine 
representative, slightly above average major league bullpen. I don't know yet whether I want Craig Kimbrell as the guy marching out of the bullpen in the ninth to save a game in the playoffs. I think my shot sheet, you know, my my opponent's hitters, my what what would Joe what did Joe Madden always call it the the window right he would the, the 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 eligible hitters the guys he was going to go face I don't know that unless that matchup looks perfect for Craig that I'm throwing him out there for that but I think it's a pretty okay bullpen right now and I'm stunned to be able to say it Bruce Levine was on the Marquee Network earlier today and he mentioned how he could see the Cubs continuing with a closer by committee for the rest of the regular season and then name a guy for the playoffs. I'm cool with just keeping the committee moving forward. I, I don't see why not. Um, they put up the stat for Kimbrell in today's game, and, I mean, yeah, it's kind of eye-popping. He really hasn't had a miss since that disastrous game in Cincinnati on a Saturday, but that was also not entirely his fault. I, I know it was a lot his fault, but it wasn't entirely his fault. I mean, he has not given up any runs other than that outing and let's see, his last 11 outings? I mean, this is a total upswing by the guy. He looked sharp on Saturday in a tense situation. Um, I'm cool with them just flipping Jeremy Jeffress and Craig Kimbrell, just whoever is the guy slated to pitch, whatever guy is hot and ready to go. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's the middle tier, guys. It's it's a Dan Winkler. It's a Rowan Wick. It, Dwayne Underwood Jr. is looking a little bit better lately, too. I, I mean – If those guys can just pitch in, be the bridge guys that they need to be, I think you develop a lot more confidence with guys like Jeffress and Kimbrell because of some of the success that they've had this year and just the fact that they've both been there. I mean, Kimbrell's still one of the best closers in baseball, his track record at least. Jeffress, another point that Bruce Levine brought up, and I think he's right, might be the best free agent relief guy signing by any major league team this year. I mean, who else has come in and and really shut things down. Now, it's kind of a dark horse situation, but it has been a huge bright spot for that Cubs bullpen, what Jeffers has been able to do. So I'm looking at the playoff standings right now and kind of trying to pair up our brackets. One would play eight. That's the Dodgers and the Marlins in the National League. Braves on top of the Cubs by a couple of percentage points right now, though, you know, that could change. Cubs, as it's scheduled, would get the Cardinals in the first round. Problem with that being that the Cardinals have 3,455 games to play over the next eight and a half hours. So it's really kind of tough to do your matchups right away, but I think it's kind of interesting to look up and down the bracket and see what what matchups would be interesting, which ones you want to stay away from if you're the Cubs. I mean, obviously nobody wants to face the Padres because they're that kind of squad. The Braves are pretty banged up in the rotation, which makes them perhaps vulnerable. And then just no one play the Dodgers. Just don't don't anyone play the Dodgers. I, that brings up a great question. How confident do you feel of the Cubs going into a best-of-three series against St. Louis? I think rotation-wise, the Cubs win that battle. But once you go into offenses and relief staff, might be kind of a wash. So yeah, I would say I would say the Cubs on paper win that series, but we all know how a best of three series in a well no, we don't know. We're finding out this year how a best of three playoff series would work, but we know how a Cubs best of three series against the Cardinals works usually. There's a lot of randomness that can come down to it. 
But for the most part, on paper, they win. Whether they do, that's another thing said. I mean, it looks like it'll be the Cubs and the Braves fighting for that two, three spot, so fighting for that two spot in the standings, and then it's just the way everything else shakes out. I mean, I don't know. I don't really see... It, it depends on if you see Milwaukee overtaking the Cardinals in that race because if it just turns out to be a second-place thing, the Cubs need to avoid being number three in order to face St. Louis. I'm with you. Philadelphia scares me. I mean, they still have just a lot of raw talent on there despite what their record shows. Um, I, but I, I think the Cubs are safe from a San Diego matchup until the second round as long as they hold on to the central i mean san diego is going to be the first number two seed or rather the first second place seed in that playoff race everything is so different now everything is screwed up but you're you're right you can't you can't latch down anything until maybe the last day or or even that because it all goes down by winning percentages with where you are in the place of the standings or in your division um but but yeah i mean a cubs cardinals opening round is is quite likely White Sox, on the other hand, are the best team in the American League. 652 winning percentage, and by virtue of the Rays and A's both losing today, they get the top spot on the fight card in the junior circuit. That's as many old-timey baseball cliches as I could. I feel like Matt Vaskersian right now. All I need to say is, like, there's a Reagan-era fastball for something that hums in at 86, and, and now I've, like, filled up your baseball cliche card. The, the White Sox are really damn good. They are a ton of fun. I I need Dallas Keuchel to come back to make them as formidable as they possibly can, obviously. But this series against the Twins coming up here over the week, this, uh, this four-game set against the Twins, is really something. Especially when you kind of sprinkle in, at least for me, Joe, the fact that that last series against the Twins in Minnesota was so poorly played by the White Sox. The defense was bad. There was bad pitching. There were a couple of truly bad at-bats from guys who have been shining stars all season long. I don't know if they got jumpy. I don't know if it was just that kind of weekend. They got a chance to erase some of it and really put the Twins down here and and maybe even take the Central. It, it should be a really fun one to watch. But in terms of playoff seating right now, Sox are looking down at everybody in the American League. Who'd have thunk? Well, and that's what's crazy, too, is... They're playing in one of the most dangerous divisions right now. Minnesota just as hot as the Sox. They've won eight out of their last ten, which is crazy because the last time the Sox and Twins matched up, they were, again, two of the hottest teams in baseball. But when you bring up that last series, I mean, that's still, along with the first week of the season and that series against Minnesota, those are still the only two blemishes on the White Sox season this year because everything else has just been so superb. Um there's going to be a lot of Sox fans turning into Cubs fans this upcoming week. With the Cubs playing Cleveland and Minnesota, it's going to turn out to be paying a lot of dividends to where the White Sox fall in this Central Division race. But this weekend, they just did more of what they've been doing so well this season. Offense just turning it on with a switch, beating teams that you need to beat. How about the fact that Jonathan Stever, a guy that hasn't pitched anywhere above advanced a baseball comes up i mean what he did in the first inning 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Is what I think, and I think a lot of White Sox fans expected to just be totally okay with. Just labor through, cough up a run here, run there. I get it, no big deal. He ends up totally doing a 180, possibly going into the fifth inning and, and just limited his pitch count, got everything working, got his location on as well. I mean, that's, that is what shows you how well the White Sox and how much of, in a groove they are right now to pull up a rookie, a guy that hasn't even pitched in double A, and he's able to do that in his big league debut. Again, this farm system that the Sox have with pitchers especially, it's just everybody they bring in can get the job done. I was really impressed by Stever, honestly. I think my guy Dylan Cease could take a page from what Jonathan Stever did today. Not that Cease can't do it, and not that he hasn't done it this year, um, but taking a beating like that, and not not that he got hit around a whole bunch, right? But he, he was the victim of a couple of things, uh, some random happenstance, some bad baseball luck, all that kind of stuff. It, it nipped him in that first inning. Um, he didn't have it. He had to pull some things together and find out what he did have while he was sitting down. Um, that's that's impressive to me. That's truly impressive. Um, and it's it kind of goes along with what I had heard a, a scout or two say when I watched him on a backfield a couple of years ago, that he just kind of understands what it is to... Um, what it is to fix the thing he's battling, right? And kind of identify that and understand how to work through it. So, uh, nice debut from Stever. I don't know whether he gets another start. I, I don't know that the White Sox have got themselves in, in that sort of situation or, or decision-making process yet, right? I mean, I, I haven't seen, uh, what, 5.15 Sunday afternoon. We haven't seen anything on Twitter about whether or not Stever's going to get another turn or twitch, do we? No, well, I I haven't um, firsthand. But the other thing is, I mean, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a happenstance to bring him up. It's the last game of a series against Detroit that you've already won. A little bit of a weaker offense to go against. But what you just said about how scouts have praised him for being able to make adjustments mid-game, maybe that's a reason why the White Sox were willing to just go ahead and take a chance on him to make this big league start because he's able to do those types of things. So if you take a look at the rookie class of 2020 for the White Sox, with Jonathan Stever just being the latest in a line of call-ups, here's the names. Grade the class for me. Luis Robert, Cody Hoyer, Jimmy Lambert, Nick Madrigal, Matt Foster, Jermaine Mercedes, Zach Birdie, Luis Gonzalez, Dane Dunning, Bernardo Flores Jr., and today's effort from Jonathan Stever. Boy, with Luis Robert setting the curve... Um, I mean, let's see. All right, how about this? How about if we take Robert out? If we take Robert out, I I, I still give them a B, no? Cody Hoyer's been huge in the bullpen. Nick Madrigal has made rookie mistakes, but, I mean, this is a guy that you're counting on to play almost every day already. Jonathan Stever did what he did today. Dane Dunning has shown signs of huge prowess I mean who's the worst in that batch I know so many names I mean Bernardo Flores Jr. who came in into a basically a mop-up situation just coughed up a couple of runs and that was it I mean that that's a pretty good rookie class so here's how I see it I think the class is an A 
It's an A-plus with Robert, because obviously, but I think it's an A-class. And here's why. I don't think any one of these guys, with the exception of Nick Madrigal being, uh, you know, a top prospect in in all sorts of rankings, right? Like even MLB Pipeline had him way towards the top. None of these guys had a whole bunch of shine on them. We could talk a little bit about Zach Birdie, a little bit about Dane Dunning, but those guys are just kind of like top 100 dudes, and Birdie's coming off of a Tommy John surgery. Birdie's by far the most disappointing guy in this class, but with what you knew he was going to have to battle coming into 2020, you can kind of understand it. Madrigal's been very good. Hoyer's been fantastic for what he's for what he's been asked to do and where he came from. Dane Dunning's been wonderful. Foster has gotten you out of some serious trouble spots and might be one of the more reliable arms that gets chucked into some middle inning stuff in this playoff run or or in a playoff series rather. I don't know how you could look at this thing and say it's anything other than two thumbs up for everybody when you take the, the entire class on the whole and of course with Robert that just that makes it brilliant. I still do think that the uniqueness of this year plays a role. Something I mentioned when we first started the podcast how you've got teams that are playing 60 games, they want to win. They don't I mean yes, of course they care about the individual talent, but I think I do think there's a little less pressure on guys making their big league debuts when the focus is on just winning. You also heard some guys that have done nothing but played college ball and then some minor league ball that are used to no fans in the stands. So it's not that whole jump into a big league situation. Ballparks are cathedrals. Hotels are like shrines, the Bull Durham line or whatever it is. I mean, you don't get those fans up in the third deck. You you just have your coach talking to you, your manager telling you where to go, and basically the mentality that you've had in spring ball or in the minor leagues. So you kind of take away that pressure. You put them on a very hot team, and let's give credit where it's due. This is a White Sox organization that built up a very bulked-up farm system and it's all coming to flourish right now because of the talent that they went out and got. So this Minnesota series shapes up to be some of the most entertaining stuff we're going to get all season long without it being obviously an actual playoff series. I I think given the way that both of these teams, both the White Sox and the Cubs played over the weekend, I think think it's more likely than not that the final Cubs series of the year isn't all that, doesn't have too much on the line, I don't think, but that comes with the caveat of the Cardinals play 87 games in the next three and a half hours, so I I don't know where they end up after that whole thing. I don't know what that looks like in the NL Central. No one possibly could. Here's your matchup for Monday night. It's Dylan Cease and Jose Barrios. Tuesday's ball game, another night game, is Dane Dunning and the mustachioed Randy Dobnak, right? I don't know what he's doing with that whole situation there, but it's uh, it's worked out for him, I guess. Lucas Giolito gets the start for the White Sox on, what would that be, Wednesday evening. The Twins have not declared a starter. And then Thursday, final game of the set, Kenta Maeda is the declared starter for the Twins. Obviously, that could change. And then that's a TBD for the White Sox where you could theoretically get Dallas Keuchel back in action. I guess it's a leading question, Joe, but would you let the outcomes of those first three games against Minnesota decide anything with Dallas Keuchel? No. 
No, I, I think it all just comes down to how is Dallas Keuchel feeling because you've still got a week and a half to to work him in for another outing. So if it's if it comes to the point of, all right, we need Dallas Keuchel to pitch today because we need to keep him on his schedule of working way back health-wise so that we can have him at his full potential in the playoffs. I mean, the Sox are going to the playoffs. There's no way around it. And I think the front office understands that enough not to put too much severity on this series against the Twins. Of course they want to win. Of course they want to sweep and beat the the absolute living crap out of the Minnesota Twins. But in the long run, it's not going to matter. I'm more inclined to worry about how Lucas Giolito does against a high-leverage situation and a really good Minnesota Twins offense and and see how he fares and really get into that playoff mode. But I, I think actually the entire White Sox remaining schedule works to their favor because they get those high-leverage games. Now, I say that without mentioning the fact that they're playing 15 games or what is it now, 14 games in 14 days. So that's definitely going to be just an absolute marathon but the competition you're playing and then you finish everything off off with the Cubs which will still have some intensity regardless of these two teams tweaking things before heading into the playoffs I mean that can work into the White Sox favor with what type of games you are playing and what types of teams you are playing because odds are the Sox aren't going to match up with Minnesota I guess maybe they can match up with Cleveland in the first round. But again, like we said before, a lot of things still have to work their way out with the standings. But I mean, that these next two weeks, I like the way the schedule works its way out for the Sox to finish off their regular season. It's so weird for for us, two baseball guys, to be doing a pod like this where there's the White Sox have 14 games left, the Cubs have 12. To have that few, that small number of games left and still not know so much about teams that have won so often, right? I mean, usually you get toward this last week and a half, almost two weeks of a season, and you've got most things fairly lined up. It's a wild card here, and maybe there's a tight division or something like that, but you're going, yeah, it's going to be the bleh in the first round, or obviously you'll have the near in the first round. And that's just... That's not what this is. There's so so many crazy scenarios that could play themselves out by virtue of so many games. I I would never want to do this again ever. Um, and I and I really don't want to. Ending a season with 17 straight is really difficult. I know that's not you know completely untoward. Like teams have had stretches like that before, even in well scheduled seasons. Uh, but the White Sox are going to have to fight a little extra something here with 17 and 17, and, and most of it against good teams, in order to get themselves through and in as good a shape as they want to be in. Well, how about the fact that they originally wanted to make the playoffs to where the higher seeds got to choose their opponents in the first round of the playoffs? A team that you haven't seen at all over the season, a team that has a million rookies that you've never heard of or don't have the background legwork on. I'm sure they have some, but not really to the extent they'd like to. I mean, that's a dangerous setup, especially in a three-game series. I mean, we're not talking about a best-of-seven. A three-game series for an opponent you really don't know that much about, but you have to decide who it is. I'm glad they steered away from that. I don't know, just the the absolute regret that would ever come with a team selecting a team to play with in the playoffs and then go on to lose that series. That's just that's way too much anxiety for me. I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. 
Uh, so I'm glad they steered away from that. But like you said, it's it's such a unique situation this year. I love the craziness that is 2020 in the baseball world of all of this. Like, yeah, let's get weird. Let's have all these rule changes. Let's have seven-inning doubleheaders. Let's cram in a bunch of games to finish out the season because it's the only way we can have baseball this year. Let's just do it up as weirdly as we can just so we can have baseball and Sunday was a great day to have baseball, especially in Chicago. You know, I forgot to mention the White Sox uh, records and numbers at the top of the White Sox section. Obviously, they're 30 and 16 with a 652 winning percentage there on top. That's 81 and 43.2 if you do the COVID record thing on pace for 101 wins. Uh, heard Jason Benetti on the broadcast this afternoon say they haven't won uh, this many 30 games in a start to a season like this, which, you know, obviously you're, you're cutting some things up here, but technically it is the start of a season, right? 46 games. Um, they haven't had anything like this since 2006. That's, that's how good the White Sox feel right now. And I, you know, I think it's going to take a lot more for me to get to a particular place on this, but I, I see the weekend Jose Abreu had, right? I mean, I, I get it. Two dingers, seven rib in one particular well in one game I, and i and they, i i understand i still i still think it's going to take more for him to win win an mvp from first base I, that that position does so much I, in my opinion with today's voters to drag you down as as a as an impact player that you just well, I guess you kind of have to hit like Jose Abreu is hitting now to get yourself in the conversation. And I still think he's going to fall just a little bit short of MVP. And I think it comes down to a statistic like RBIs. I mean, that that's kind of the definition of most valuable player, right? A guy that drives in runs when you need to. And that's that's what's so good about him right now is that's all he cares about is the at-bat at hand, the situation at hand where defenders are not, so where he can place the baseball. It was an interesting conversation that Danny Parkins brought up on the score. Like, it's hard for the White Sox to market a campaign for a guy like Jose Abreu to win the MVP because are you getting into Tim Anderson's turf then? Like, why don't you start bragging about him for the MVP race too? But I think you're right about the numbers these days it's the voters now care about defensive metrics and they care about the value of the position you're playing so Mike Trout wins that in center field no matter how the LA Angels are doing but a guy like Jose Abreu offensively 30 years ago might be winning this MVP so Anthony Rendon right now sits on top of the Fangraphs war leaderboard at 2.4 Mike Trout, how crazy is that? The Angels are garbage this year, and they have two of the best players in the American League. Mike Trout, 2.3 wins above replacement. Tim Anderson is third at 2.1 wins above replacement. Nelson Cruz, who is 90 and does not play defense, has 2.1 wins above replacement. Jose Ramirez, two wins above replacement. And Jose Abreu, uh 1.8 wins above replacement. However, if you sort all those hitters I just mentioned 
by weighted runs created plus. It is Nelson Cruz on top of the list. Wow. And after that, it's Tim Anderson at 168, just a handful of points, like 20 points behind Nelson Cruz, because my God, is he good. Then it's Mike Trout. Then it's Jose Abreu in fourth. Then it's Anthony Rendon in fifth, right? So if you think the weighted runs created plus, right, the, the measure of a player graded against 100 and how many points you've got over 100 is how, be- how much better you are than league average, right? Jose Abreu, 66% better than a league average hitter. Nelson Cruz, 83% better than a league average hitter. I mean, this is just, it, it's such a crazy top five because of the season we're having. That a guy, that a guy who does not play defense is going to get himself likely a handful, not many, but a handful of top three MVP votes is crazy to me. Yeah, so maybe it's just, it's the recency bias, it's the demographic bias that we hear so many good things of Jose Abreu, but I think those those numbers are what you need to hear in order to water down the Jose Abreu MVP race conversation. Yeah, He's just fitting he's fitting into this lineup so well right now. I mean, he he is the reason this team is able to spark a six-run rally out of nowhere and what he's able to do along with being in the dugout and helping this team chemistry and kind of being the glue for all these other players. But but you're right. There's there's a lot of good going on in the American League with those numbers that you just dropped. I, I, I would love to continue on with the Jose Abreu MVP case, but I think those numbers are, are what puts it puts it in its place. He he leads He's gotta hit more. He leads the the MLB in RBI. I mean, forty eight. Forty eight total. Next closest is Freddie Freeman. And I, I think Stoney said on the broadcast today that his his pace his full season, hundred sixty two game pace, which let's be honest, Abreu's probably playing about one sixty, or at least he he's done it in the past. Uh, I think his pace is for 169, 170 RBI in a full season. That's incredible, right? I, I'm not an RBI guy in terms of stat and value, though I I understand the arguments on both sides, right? Just one more number for you, or one more set of numbers that I was looking at in this top five AL MVP race. Slugging percentage. Mike Trout leads the way with 660, right? Like, it's just... He's slugging 660. Nelson Cruz is slugging 654. Jose Abreu in third at 627. Then it is Tim Anderson slugging 581. Then Jose Ramirez at 512. Oh, pardon, pardon. Anthony Rendon at 517. Then Jose Ramirez at 512. Just looking at slugging percentages across the board. It's just what a what a fun, what a fun final sprint this is for White Sox fans to not only get to watch a team where you go, yeah, check the boxes in the playoffs, good to go. Now, which one of our three guys is going to get the most votes for MVP? And it's it's an elevated conversation of how last year ended. It was, oh, can Tim Anderson win the batting title? Can Jose Abreu win the RBI title? Is Joan Mankata going to give Tim Anderson a run for his money? All those things are still kind of happening, but, oh, yeah, the White Sox just grabbed the best record in the American League. 
You're right. It's fun. How about just the fact that we're not talking about uh, this season could all just not finish anymore? I mean, yes, that's still a possibility. That is still something that you know has to be taken seriously and precautions had to be made. But we were a week into this podcast, and I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to have like two or three more, and that's going to be it. But that has made a 180. Baseball has gotten better at bringing the numbers down, so you have to give credit to that because we were how much we were bashing them earlier. So improvements were made. But you are starting to see, you're still seeing the effects of this condensed season. You're still seeing the effects of pitchers having a spring training, then cut off, and then a rushed second summer camp. That's all still happening, but you're getting back to baseball now, especially with just a couple of, and that's, that's what's crazy is, you're back to baseball, and there's only two more weeks left of the regular season. Not, not even that in some cases. So it's it's a long time coming for baseball fans to finally be able to really enjoy this. But yeah, these next two weeks for both teams are, are going to be huge. It's, it's crazy that we're all just getting into our grooves right now and about to disrupt it in, in two weeks. Our baseball grooves, as, as I guess it would be. It's, it's weird. It was weird for me to have the NFL on today while my two baseball games were going on. I, it was an unwanted intrusion, though I, I guess I did have some fun watching football out of the side of my eye. Um, I'm really glad I, I don't. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I'm, I'm really glad I don't have to talk about the Bears the way I used to talk about the Bears. That's That's really great for me. But I will say this, um, and, and just one kind of national thing to, to wrap things up. I'm glad that we get to talk about the baseball again, right? I'm, I'm glad that it's no longer a point of conversation. But it looks more and more like, and we'll probably address this on the next pod, um, or, or maybe the one after that, you know, this being 15, so maybe episode 17 or something like that, because episode 16 is going to be filled of White Sox versus Twins and breaking down that, down that series heartbeat by heartbeat. And of course, we'll figure out whatever the Cubs figure out if they figure out anything. But I figure, Joe, episode 17 is one that we, I, I think I think fans of the pod will look forward to because it's going to be one where we're not just looking at two teams, but the whole of baseball and what they've decided to do in terms of a playoff bubble. We I've Many have known this was going to happen for a long time, but nobody knew it was really going to happen until, I mean, still, they haven't decided that this is what they're doing. So I would imagine in the next five to 10 days, you've got to get things absolutely 100% locked down so that whatever you have locked down, you can change immediately once COVID forces you to change it because that's the world we're living in. A couple of podcasts ago, I, I was speaking that these playoff bubbles had been 100% decided. And then I was quickly corrected by like, Oh wait, no, this has not been set in stone whatsoever. And it still hasn't. I think it's coming because of a, a number of things. The main one being the success that the NHL and the NBA have had by having these playoff bubbles. But as of right now, it's still that wild card round at the home ballpark. Am I correct? Far as we know. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that does play into effect. But like we were saying before, with so many teams being able to get into the playoffs and with winning percentage coming down to being a factor in it, I mean, magic numbers are not going to be as easy to calculate as they were before. And I know... They mean nothing. They mean nothing. (laughs) They mean nothing. The Cardinals have 95 games left to play. There are no magic numbers. At one point, I think it's still in effect that 
you could say the Cubs are in control of their own destiny, but because the Cardinals play so many games still, they could like win out and still overtake the Central over the Cubs, even if they were to win out. I mean, that's how crazy this last couple of weeks are. So yeah, even though we'll be talking about that, we still will be a bit of ways of breaking down these playoff matchups because there is still so much to be decided. But again, it's been a weird year. It's been a weird baseball season. Let's just stay weird. Let's get even weirder and, and see what we can deal with. It's the motto for the pod, stay weird. Fun episode today. Loved talking about two teams that have a bunch of bright spots, at least for now. Really looking forward to the White Sox and Twins over the next week. I think you can expect a bonus episode or two with the White Sox playing the Twins Monday through Thursday. We will definitely talk to you Friday morning. Thanks so much for listening to Baseball from Home. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.